there for me? Thank you very much. Um, Exodus 22. Several main divisions in here that we're going to go rapid fire through. Punishment for a thief. Personal responsibility. Protection for women. Thank you very much. Protection for women. Punishments. Protection for the poor. Pledges. And then giving precedence to God. That means putting him first. Okay? Um, we're going to be going through laws for a while. And here's what we're going to tend to want to do. We're going to feel like, oh, it's just a list of laws. Like, you know, so boring. And we're going to want to skip over some of the stuff or not pay attention. But I would caution you against not paying attention or in seeing it as, man, this is like, you know, just a list of laws. Who cares about that? Who cares about rules? In these things, as I've told you over the last couple times that we've done this, as we go through these laws, we get to see God's heart. What does God care about? What does he desire? What does he want uh, for his people, from his people? And so it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic section as long as you keep that mindset. If you look at it like, well, you know, you gave these to the, to the Israelites there at Sinai, you know, thousands of years ago, and it's just old stuff, who cares? Um, then you're going to get bored really, really quick. But if you're looking for God's heart as you go through these, you're going to learn. You're going to see God's heart. You're going to see what God's desires are. So let's just jump right into the first section here, verses 1 through 4. Uh, most of these sections, I did not put any subpoints in there, just in case you're one of the note takers. Uh, but main division, punishment for a thief. Verse 1. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it. So the point is, if someone steals an animal, he shall restore five oxen for an ox, and four sheep for a sheep, okay? If he's stolen an ox, he needs to, uh, he gets caught, he needs to restore five oxen for the one that he stole. And if he took one sheep, he's got to restore four sheep for the one that he stole, okay? Now, let me ask you a question before we go any further. Verse 1, so we've got the right mindset. What is it, or who is it, that God is concerned about as we go through these. Let me read it for you one more time. You think about it. I know it's early. Barely going to be noon. You're not normally up this early. Um, so listen. Verse 1. If a man steals an ox or a sheep, slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox or four sheep for a sheep. Let me ask you a question. Okay? You with me? Okay? Does God, is God's main concern in this first verse, is he mainly concerned about oxen? No? Okay. We're starting off good. Is he mainly concerned about sheep? No. Is he mainly concerned about the thief? No. Who's he mainly concerned about? The owner. The owner. The owner of the animals. He wants to make sure that this owner is restored his animals. Now, these would not just be pets. These would be a source of income for this individual that own the animals. So God is mainly concerned about the owner being restored. In fact, as God is putting, putting these laws out, he's concerned for the owner of the animals that the owner of the animals not even get ripped off in the first place. You see, if I am a thief, which I have shared with you, I used to be when I was much younger, used to just steal all kinds of stuff. If I am a thief, 
and I hear, hey, if I steal an ox or I steal a sheep and I get caught, I've got to make sure that I restore five oxen for every oxen, four sheep. I don't even have that many in the first place. Maybe I better not steal. Okay? So he's trying to prevent the thief, but he's also protecting the owner. Let's move on. Verse 2. If the thief is found breaking in, and he is struck so that he dies, there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. In other words, I'm breaking into someone's house, and someone, you know, it's, it's um, what is implied here, and you're going to see this in the next verse, but I'm going to tell it, I'm going to tell you right now. What is implied is that I'm breaking in at night, okay? I found breaking in, the owner of the house pulls out their gun or their bat or whatever, you know, what, you know, whatever your dad might have, like golf club or something, and hits me, I end up dying. There's no guilt for that. In other words, the owner is not held guilty or responsible at all. Look, man, you broke into my house in the middle of the night. I didn't know who you were, so I, I, I took your life. There's, there's no penalty for that. Verse 3, if the sun has risen on him. So the point now in verse 3 is, if this same thief is stealing during the day, during daylight, verse 3, there shall be guilt for his bloodshed. What does that mean? It means that if I'm the owner and I see you breaking into my house in the middle of the day, I can see you. It is implied that I can do something other than kill you. Now, if you're threatening my life, that's a whole different matter. But if I can, if I see who you are and I can stop you, then I ought to do that, verse 3. Because if I just say, oh, now's my chance to take somebody's life, and I just kill that individual, then I will be held guilty. Verse 3. But the thief should make full restitution. If he, that's the thief, has nothing in verse 3, then he shall be sold for his theft. If he, if he steals stuff and he can't pay and he gets caught, then he is going to be sold into servanthood and he's going to have to pay off his debt. Verse 4. If the theft is certainly found alive in his hand, whether it is an ox or donkey or sheep, he shall restore double. So even if I've taken an ox or I've taken a sheep, and in verse 4 he throws in donkey, and I still have the animal when I'm caught, then I don't have to restore five for one or four for one. I just need to restore double whatever I have taken. Okay? So punishment for a thief in that we see not only a deterrent for those that would steal, but also protection for those that might be ripped off. Personal responsibility, beginning in verse 5. If a man, I don't know why these are always men. It's like men are all, they're all troublemakers, right? If a man steals, if a man breaks in, if a man, in verse 5, if a man causes a field, right? It's like, what did we do wrong, right? What about us? Don't we have any rights? Verse 5, if a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed. We're talking about uh, these rules concerning, you know, farming and uh, livestock. But here's, here's the deal. Uh, let's say I've got animals, uh, grazing animals, uh, sheep, oxen, goats. And in verse 5, I let loose my animals, and my animals feed in another man's field. He, that's me, I should make restitution from the best of my own field and the best of my own vineyard. In other words, my animals go over and take some of my neighbor's uh, uh, product, I've got to make sure that I set it right, that I make it right, okay? 
So, let's say that uh, you don't have farm animals, probably most of you, some of you. Anybody got any farm animals? Okay. You got, you got some farm animals? Okay. You do, that's right, yeah. So let's say that Josie's chickens. She lets her chickens out. Did you guys know Josie had chickens? No. Josie's got chickens. Okay. You have chickens also? She has chickens? Well, we'll go with Josie this time, okay? Josie's got her chickens. She lets her chickens out to go and eat. But the chickens end up hopping the fence. They are rogue chickens. They go hop the fence. And they go over to the neighbor's, uh, let's say they go over to the neighbor's yard, and they eat the neighbor's chicken feed. Maybe they have chickens. Or maybe they've got a dog. And, and, the, and the chickens go over there, and they get into the bag of dog food and eat the, the neighbor's dog food. What should Josie do? Should Josie, A, hop the fence, grab her chicken, and hop back over before the neighbor sees her and blames her? Or should Josie say, hey, I'm so sorry, my rogue chicken got loose and uh, got into your feed or got into your dog food, and so I'm going to restore that. Number two, that's what he's saying here. Okay, Verse six, if fire breaks out, so I happen to know that, let's just stick with Josie. I happen to know that Josie at times has had a bonfire in her backyard. Okay, So let's say she's got a bonfire going, and uh, she's sitting back there all happy, whatever, playing her guitar. And then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, her fire gets out of control. Okay, Maybe she throws her Christmas tree in there. It goes up. Sparks fly. And verse 6, if fire breaks out and catches in thorns. In other words, it catches fire. So that stacked grain standing grain, or the field is consumed. He who kindled the fire shall surely make restitution. So if my fire gets out of control and burns my neighbor's property, I am responsible for uh, making it right, for restoring it. So in this personal responsibility, in this section we've got a couple of uh, sub-points, and one is property. I'm personally responsible to restore the, the property, if, if it was my fault that it was damaged. Verse 7, beginning at verse 7, we see personal responsibility over personal items. Verse 7, if a man, why well, I was a man, okay? Verse 7, if a man delivers to his neighbor money or articles to keep. So I go over to my neighbor, I say, hey, uh, do me a big favor. Can you hold on to this money for me? Or I've got some, you know, some jewelry or whatever it might be. And I give that to my neighbor. Verse 7. And it is stolen out of the man's house. If the thief is found, he shall pay double. Okay, got it, understood. Verse 8. If the thief is not found, then the master of the house shall be brought to the judges to see whether he has put his hand into his neighbor's goods. So I give my goods to my neighbor, say, hey, can you hold on to these, keep these safe? Remember, they didn't have banks, they didn't have vaults, they didn't have, you know, uh, safe deposit boxes, safes. So they would take it to the neighbor, hey, can you keep watch over this while I'm gone? While I'm gone, the things that I gave to my neighbor are stolen. If we find the thief, no problem. That thief is responsible to repay. But if the thief is not stolen, then according to verse 8, I need to take the owner of that house, my neighbor, to the judges, and the judges will examine the individual and see if that individual has stolen my goods. Verse 9. For any kind of trespass, that's a violation, whether it concerns an ox, a donkey, or a sheep, 
uh, I'm sorry, a sheep or clothing, or for any kind of lost thing which another claims to be his. The cause of both parties shall come before the judges, and whomever the judges condemn shall pay double to his neighbor. So anything that I might accuse my neighbor of losing or stealing, we both need to go to the judges, take our case to the judges, and let the judges decide. Verse 10, if a man, there it is, delivers to his neighbor a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or any animal to keep, and it dies, is hurt or driven away, no one seeing it, then an oath of the Lord shall be between them both, that he has not put his hand into his neighbor's goods, and the owner of it shall accept that, and he shall not make it good. So I give some animals over to my uh, neighbor, and I say, hey, could you do me a favor? Uh, keep watch over these for a while while I am gone. Something happens to the sheep. No one knows what happened. Then what we have to do is we both have to take an oath. In other words, the person, the, 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 the neighbor that was supposed to be watching over the animals, he is supposed to take an oath before God. In other words, he's calling God as witness and saying, hey, uh, I promise I did not steal these animals. The point is this, that if he's willing to call God as witness and swear before God that he's telling the truth, then he's innocent. But if he stands before God and says, ah, I can't do it, I can't lie to God, I can't call God as witness, I'm the one that stole it, then the matter is you know, settled and you know, gives the property back. Verse 12, but if in fact it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to the owner of it. In other words, what am I doing? I'm being personally held or, or personally responsible for these personal items. Verse 13, I'm sorry, verse 12. No, verse 13. But if it is torn to pieces by a beast, he shall bring it as evidence. He shall not make good what was torn. So he says, hey, look, an animal got to it, killed it. It's not my fault. Then he's free. Doesn't have to restore it. Verse 14. And if a man borrows anything from his neighbor and he becomes injured or dies, the owner of it not being with it, he shall surely make it good. So, you know, uh, nowadays, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, uh, maybe you uh, lend your uh, lawnmower to somebody. You lend your lawnmower to the neighbor, the neighbor borrows it, and then they bring it back and they say, hey, it stopped working. What? It was working fine when I gave it to you. Or weed whackers. Weed whackers are just so, you know, they're, they're just well known for breaking it. So you, you let your neighbor borrow your weed whacker, they bring it back and they say, it's not working anymore. The neighbor is responsible for providing you with either a repair or replacing that machine. Now, back then, they didn't have lawnmowers and they didn't have weed whackers. But maybe, maybe I keep chickens. But my chickens, I've got a problem. The chickens, you know, they go around, they eat the bugs, they do whatever, they eat all that stuff. But what they don't do is they don't, they don't eat my grass. And I need, to, I need to chop down my grass. So I say, hey, neighbor, I noticed you keep goats or you've got sheep. How about you lend me five of your sheep, have them come over and just stay here for the week, and they can eat the grass, and that way, it, you know, it's like a, it's a lawnmower is what it does. It mows the lawn down. But while I have my neighbor's sheep, something happens to the sheep. They're damaged, they're, uh, they, get, they get hurt, they die, they're stolen, whatever. Well, then I'm responsible for replacing the sheep, okay? 
if its owner was with it. So back in the ancient times, I say, uh, you know, I come and I knock on your door. And I say, uh, listen, I noticed that your weeds are getting a little warm. And, and then you say, yeah, it's, you know, I only have chickens. They don't eat the weeds. And I say, well, I happen to have my five goats with me. Um, and uh, we can work here for the day. And I'll set my goats out there, and they'll chew down the grass, and, you know, it'll be shorter grass. And you say, okay, it's a deal. Let's do it. So while I'm there, uh, one of my goats gets hurt, or one of my goats gets some grass stuck in their throat, and they die. I don't know. Something happens to them. Well, there's the owner of the property is not responsible. I'm with the animals. It's, it's my responsibility. No one's to blame. Okay? Let's move on. I've got personal responsibility. Let's move on. Protection for women. Verses 16 and 17. If a man, if a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed. Now let's talk about this. A virgin, everybody knows what that is, is not betrothed, meaning she's not married or promised to be married. If a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife. In other words, the guy, what he does is he takes, um, he, he uh, seduces, that's the word I was looking for in the first one. He seduces the young lady and they end up having sex. The man is now responsible to pay the bride price for her to be his wife. In other words, here's the deal with these types of things. Um, when This is what the Bible teaches. When you have dishonored someone, it is your responsibility to do your best to restore that honor. Okay? You've dishonored someone. It is your responsibility to restore that honor. In this particular case, this is the best way for this young man or this man to do it. Now, when this is super gross, it wouldn't necessarily be a young man. Uh, but, but he would be responsible then to take that woman as his wife. Okay? However, in verse 17, I like this part because I'm a dad. If her father utterly refuses, he's like, there is no way uh, that you are marrying my daughter. Fool. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money according to the bride price of virgins. Okay, so he would still be responsible for paying something, not the same price as you would for a wife, so in the first case, he violates this woman, seduces her, violates her. He would be responsible for paying a certain price in order for, uh, to, to the father in order for the, the, the lady, the young lady, to be his wife. However, if the dad says, no way, that's not going to happen, well, then he's still responsible to pay a price, but it would be the, uh, the bride price of virgins, which I'm guessing, I'm assuming, would be a lower price. Okay? But he's still responsible. Now, Again, let's pause for just a moment. What is God doing here? Is he just looking for people to charge money? Does God need money? No. God doesn't need any money. What is he doing? He's given, as I said here, protection for women. The dude, the guy that wants to, that he's checking out this young lady and wanting to, you know, to work his plan, 
He better think twice. He better think twice. He better, he better look at her and say, wait a minute. Uh, if I go on and mess around like this, I'm going to end up having to pay the bride price. Do I have that kind of money? And then he's got to stop and think, if I've got that kind of money, then why don't I just go ahead and ask her to marry me? Why am I going to mess around and do this? Like, let me just go ahead and marry her. So he's got to think twice before he does this. But it also offers protection. He can't just do whatever he wants with this young lady and then kick her to the curb. Right? He's got to make sure that she's provided for. He's dishonored her. He's got to make sure that he restores, to the best of his ability, restores her honor. Okay? Protection for women. Let's move on. Next, a uh, uh, main division. These are punishments, various punishments. Some of these are pretty gnarly. In fact, the first couple. Verse 18. Look at this. You shall not permit a sorceress to live. Just, just like that. Now, what, what, what is a sorceress? Anybody know what a sorceress is? A witch. A witch. Okay. So, I mean, what are we talking about? What, what kind of witch are we talking about here? Does anybody know? It's like, what, what is it like, uh, uh, do you mean that witch from, you know, like, like a Disney cartoon? Like a Disney movie? Is that what we're talking about? That kind of witch? Harry Potter. What kind of witch are we talking about? Like witchcraft. What is a sorcerer? Yeah, witchcraft. A sorceress would be someone that obviously would partake in sorcery, which had to do with sometimes with uh, pharmacia or drug use, actually, even way back then, drug use, okay? But it also was an involvement with, uh, with demons. It was generally used to get information about the spirit world. Sometimes they would claim to know the future, okay? And so they would they would uh, 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 um, they would reach out uh, to maybe dead people or what they thought were dead people, okay? Um, but it involved uh, uh, activity with with demons. So God here is saying, "Listen, you shall not permit a sorcerer to live." In other words, it's a nice way of saying. If you find out that someone's a sorcerer, that person must die. you got to kill them. All right? Serious. Wow. Okay. I, 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 didn't, I, didn't understand. I didn't know that God was, was just like that. Okay? So, let's stop for a moment. Because you and I know, because we've studied Exodus chapter 22, or at least we're studying it right now, that when God is giving all of these rules, we know what he's doing is he's revealing his heart. This is what he cares about. This is what he's concerned about. These are things, uh, you know, people that he wants to protect. But he's even, he's even, we've already found out he's even concerned about people's personal property. You lose your personal property or it's damaged by someone else, they're responsible to restore it to you. But now we read this, and there are some others here. The next one is gnarly, but verse 18, before we move on, you shall not permit a sorceress to live. God is saying, listen, if someone is involved in uh, uh, this, this demonic activity, you are to kill them. So what is going on here? This would obviously be a deterrent. Keep in mind, okay? It's always important to remember context. Now, what are we talking about here? The group of people... 
track with me, the group of people that are receiving these rules. First of all, who is the group of people? Does anybody know? Not the disciples officially. They are disciples, but they've got a different name here. Anybody know who they are? Yes. The Hebrews. Very good, Cole. Thank you very much. The Hebrews. They're following this, this guy, this man. What is the man's name? Anybody remember? Anybody? You're like, Exodus, Exodus. Uh, is that in the Bible? <laughs> Who, 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 who are the Hebrews following? Cole. Moses. Moses. That's right. And now all of a sudden it's coming back. Oh, wait a minute. We've been studying Exodus for 22 weeks. That's right. Moses. Okay. <laughs> Moses. Okay. Mo at this moment, just, just as a refresher, as a little refresher course. At this moment, all of these rules, Moses is up on Sinai. Oh, that's right, Sinai. Okay, so, so you're starting to remember. So he's up on Sinai. He's getting all of these rules from God. He's going to come back down and tell all the people these rules. The Hebrews, following Moses, they're at Sinai. That's right. Where did they follow Moses from? Egypt. Yes, there it is. It's all coming back. Egypt, that's right. Okay. All the, the, the Christmas cookies are starting to wear off. Okay? <laughs> starting to, okay, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay? They're following Moses from Egypt. In Egypt, the Egyptians were involved in sorcery. Remember Moses when he threw down his staff and it turned into a snake? And then the wise men from, from Pharaoh threw theirs down and it turned into a snake. Moses's was from God. The other sorcerers, the Egyptian sorcerers, it was sorcery. Okay, so they had some 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 uh, uh, they had some genuine power. That's for sure. It's just a matter of where it came from. So they've come out of this. Remember, they they grew up. They were born. They grew up. They lived in slavery in Egypt. They were surrounded by sorcery. Now they're also headed somewhere. Come on and help me out, church. They've gone from Egypt. They're following Moses, they're at Sinai, and they're on their way to the promised land. Oh, thank you so much. Amen. They're on their way to Canaan, right? To the promised land. And in Canaan, there was idolatry, there was sorcery, there was all of this garbage. And God is trying to tell them, don't be like where you came from, and don't be like where you're going. Be, it's the D word, be, yes, thank you very much. Be different. So he tells them, listen, no sorcery allowed. Stop the sorcerer. If I'm thinking about being involved in sorcery, I read this, I go, well, do I, do I really want to take my life into my own hands practicing the sorcery? No, I, I think not. But the other thing that this does is it protects the community. It protects the people from the sorcery also, from demonic activity. Verse 19, super gross. Let's read it. Let's move on. Whoever lies with an animal shall surely be put to death. You say, wait a minute. I lay down with my cat or my dog all the time. We take naps. It's so cozy. They're so warm, especially if you have a big animal. Okay? That is not what he's talking about here. Verse 19 sounds like you guys already know. When it says whoever lies with an animal, that means in sexual intercourse. Super gross, right? 
That's why God says this, whoever lies with an animal shall surely be put to death. Now, God is not telling them this. God didn't just pull this out of like thin air. Like, let me just, let me just throw some of these rules at them. He's doing this because the people that they have been involved with and the people that they will be involved with, the, the, the surrounding peoples were practicing these things. And God wants for his people to be different. So don't do it. These are serious, serious issues here. In fact, they're life and death. Verse 20. He who sacrifices to any god, in other words, an idolater, except the Lord only, he shall utterly be, or shall be utterly destroyed. Again, God's not just looking for people to kill. He's trying to deter people from doing these things and to protect the people as a whole. Don't introduce idolatry. Verse 21. You shall, I love this. I love this. You shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him. Now let's stop for a moment. Fusion, help me out. Remember that as we're reading through these rules, we're seeing God's heart revealed. We see that God cares for people's property. We see that God cares for people's, uh, not only their animals, but their fields, their stocks, their grain, everything. But he also cares about women. We saw him earlier that he made this law protecting women. So in verse 21, we see that God is concerned about strangers. You shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him. Now this is a big one for you and I. Because church is a place where you and I are always coming face to face with new faces. It's the beginning of the year. A lot of families are saying, hey, we're going to start going back to church. Um, so new year, making this, this new year's resolution, we're going to go to church on Sundays. That is a good thing. But sometimes you and I as the church can see that and they go, well, pfft, you haven't been here since junior. I haven't known you since junior high like the rest of my friends. So I can't really hang out with you. Okay? Notice the hand. You just go sit over there. Right? We oftentimes can, can say, well, you know, you, you're not really part of the, of the us for no more. So shut the door. Okay? We can see strangers come in. A strange face, a different face. And we can treat them a certain way, or we can ignore them. But what we see here, verse 21, goes against what you and I naturally want to do. Naturally, we want to stay with our little posse, like our, just our little crew, and let's not, not, don't let any new people in. You know, uh, me and these four people, we have known each other since we were in diapers in the nursery, and we've been in church all our lives, and you're new, and I don't know you. And what God says here in verse 21 is this, you shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him. You cannot mistreat that individual, nor shall you oppress them, push them down, keep them down. Like, oh, uh, you shouldn't go to the event. Really, why not? Well, it's, you know, just because, you know, it's not going to be that much fun. Because maybe it's a new person and you don't really want them squeezing in on your territory. We cannot do that. 
God, when we see his heart, which we're seeing here in these verses, God is concerned. He likes strangers. Now, this is wonderful news because as God is talking, does anybody remember who these people are again? Who's God talking to? That's right, the Hebrews. Thank you, Cole. The Hebrews. And he's saying in verse 21, you cannot mistreat someone who's not a Hebrew. Don't do it. Don't oppress them. And then he gives them a reason, verse 21. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Remember, they were strangers. They were oppressed. And he's saying, don't do that same thing to somebody else. Some of us, many of us in this room, are deathly afraid. You know what? Actually, let's go even, let's go even a step further. Get even a little more practical. Some of you, you can, if you think back, I know it was many, 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 many years ago. Some of you were deathly afraid to move from junior high into high school. Watch out. Even if you had a little bit of a crew, some people that maybe you knew, you were deathly afraid to move from there to here because who's in there and what are they going to do to me? How are they going to treat me? Will they accept me? And we see the heart of God saying, man, you better not mistreat strangers nor oppress them. Because at one time you yourselves were strangers in the land of Egypt. Remember what it's like? You remember what it's like to move from junior high into high school? Didn't want to go. Telling Plaza, please don't make me. We're going to sign a petition. Staying at junior high for two more years. I'm not going. You remember what it was like to come in and be brand new. And, and maybe it wasn't as bad as you thought. But still you were unsure, like, who's, who's in there? Who are they? What are they doing there? But you were a stranger at one point. Don't do, do your best. Do your best to accept those new people, those new faces that are coming in. Don't oppress them. Treat them right. Treat them well. Verse 22, you shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. Why? Because God is concerned about widows and fatherless children. If you afflict them, look what God says. This is serious. He's serious about this in verse 23. If you afflict them in any way, and they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath will become hot. Right? Hot. And I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. God says, you mistreat those widows or fatherless children, and I'm coming after you. Wow. Wow. So oftentimes, those that have lost a parent, or maybe even both parents, can be even treated in a certain way, like, oh, you don't have, you know, you don't have what I have. But it is so important for you to understand that God, if you've lost a parent, that God seems to have this special place for you in his heart. You shall not afflict a widow or fatherless child. He goes on to say, my wrath will become hot and I will kill you with the sword. I mean, that's pretty serious. God was not playing around with these people. And these are his own people. And he's saying, you better treat them right. They've already suffered. Don't you dare make them suffer more. 
God cares for those people, those individuals. Let's move on to the uh, fifth section here, moving right along. Verse 25, just one verse. God's protection for the poor. He's concerned about the poor. If you lend money to any of my people who are poor. He's talking Hebrews to Hebrews. If you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like a money lender to him. You shall not charge him interest. So you lend your poor neighbor some money. You make the deal. You require back just the amount of money, not money with interest. Okay? Not doing that. We're not treating each other that way. How about pledges, beginning in verse 26, pledges. If you ever take your neighbor's garment as a pledge, this is something that they would do, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that is his only covering. It is his garment for his skin. What will he sleep in? And it will be that when he cries to me, I will hear him, for I am gracious. Keep in mind, things are much different then. And it might be that a neighbor would say, um, listen, I'm going to give you my coat as a pledge. You know, I'll be back. Or, I'll finish the job. Here's my coat as a pledge. God is saying, at the end of the day, you better make sure you give your neighbor's coat back because they're going to need it to sleep. So evidently they would sleep in these things too. Okay? But you've got to give it back to him. Don't just keep it you know, and hold it over his head like, hey, you're not getting it back until... It's like, no, you've you got you to care for these people. Okay? And finally, the last section, giving precedence to God, verse 28. You are going to love this one. You shall not revile God. In other words, you ought not uh, curse God or, or curse about God. You shall not revile God. And then he says in verse 28, look at this, nor curse a ruler of your people. Now, let's talk about some practical application here before we close. You and I are living in a time and in a state when it is very easy to curse the ruler of our people. And some of you have heard it. You've heard it. See it on social media all over the place. Maybe even your parents or your family are fired up about it. Now, God says you are not to curse a ruler of your people. And Paul said it in a slightly different way. It actually wasn't slightly. It was actually very drastic. Paul said, he said, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse the people that persecute you. But it's real easy right now for you and I to get caught up in all that the California governor is doing and to hurl curses at that individual. But God here is saying, don't curse a ruler of your people. Now, let me tell you what this does not mean. What it does not mean is if the ruler is corrupt, gotta just be nice to him. No. If the ruler is corrupt, he or she can and should be removed. But in the process of all of that, we're not to run around cursing that individual. You know, in Romans, we haven't gotten there yet on Wednesday nights. We've been out of Romans for a little while, but we will get there. Did you know that in Romans, we are told that God places authority where he sees fit? I do not understand, it's hard for me to understand, that 
God placed the authority that we currently have right now in the state, that he placed that individual there. But according to Romans, that's exactly what we're told. So you and I have got to be careful. Now, again, that does not mean that the person, if they're corrupt, that, oh, well, just, you know, God put them there, so just leave them alone. No, if they're not doing a good job, they need to be thrown out and somebody else voted in. That's part of our democracy. It's what we have here. But in the process, you and I have got to be careful. Remember that God is giving these rules because he wants for his people to be different. To be different. This is not like warring tribes anymore. That's what the rest of the people around them were doing. One tribe just killing off another tribe, or even within these warring factions, you know, family members just killing off other family uh, members because, you know, they wanted the leadership. And God is saying, no, do not live that way. Verse 29, you shall not delay to offer the first of your ripe produce and your juices. What do you mean? Offer them to God. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. Okay? So, the ripe produce and the juices were to be given to the uh, the priests that were uh, operating the temple. The firstborn of your sons, that does not mean that I'm going to bring, you know, my firstborn son and offer him to God in some kind of human sacrifice. That's not what he's saying. But he is to be dedicated to God, to his service. Verse 30, likewise you shall do with your oxen and your sheep. So bring your oxen, bring your sheep. It shall be with its mother seven days, and on the eighth day you shall give it to me, God says. They are, the animals were to be used for sacrifice. Verse 31, here's where we finish. I like this. It's a good way to finish. Verse 31, and you shall be holy men. And I think I'm not overstepping my boundary by saying holy women. You shall be holy to me, God says. I like how he, look how he ties this in in verse 31. And you shall be holy men to me. You shall not eat meat torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. You're like, what? But you see, that was normal practice around them. I'm walking through the woods or I'm, you know, driving down the street and I see some animal that got hit or is killed. And I go, oh, man, looks pretty fresh. And I just go ahead and eat some of the meat. God says, no. We don't live like scavengers. We don't live like that. That meat is only good to be thrown to the dogs. It's not how we live. The point in verse 31, summing this all up, is the word holy. You shall be holy. What does holy mean? Does anybody know what holy means? Anybody know what it means to be holy? Yes. Yes, set apart from God. That's all. Some of us hear the word holy and we think, uh, that means I have to glow in the dark, I've got to get my halo, I've got to you know, try to walk on water, I've got to wear a white robe. No. What it means is set apart for God, or set apart to God for his service. And what he's saying there is, listen, we don't just eat meat torn by beasts in the field, we don't just, you know, throw it. We don't just live like scavengers like the rest of the people. We've got to be different. got to be different. got to do things differently. Live differently. God, in giving these rules, these laws, was setting his people apart, giving them guidelines. It wasn't just figure it out by yourself. You will also notice that many of the things that we talked about today are things that we practice in our own society. 
Like, you're responsible. If you damage someone's property, you're responsible to pay for it. We have what is referred to as a Judeo-Christian system of law here in America. Many of these things were used as the basis for our own law. These things were meant for God's people to set them apart, make them different from everybody else. Not meant to just fence them in or look for people to kill or reasons to kill them, but to set them apart because God loved his people and cared about them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this morning. Thank you for your word. We thank you that you don't just leave us out there to figure it out for ourselves. But you give us guidelines and you give us direction. We need that. Because if we all just took off and tried to figure it out on our own and did whatever we thought was right, society would be an absolute mess. And, and that's, God, that's what we're seeing today. Is so many people, so much of society, trying to exclude you and come up with their own system and rules for living life but we can see how messed up it is. So much better when we live our lives according to your law, according to your word. So help those of us in this room to do just that. To take your word to heart, to put it into practice. Thank you so much, Father, for not leaving us blind, but showing us the way. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.